Good morning. This is Ricky Jones at River Oaks Presbyterian Church, and this is From Monday to Sunday, our weekly podcast when we answer the questions that you have sent in and do our best to kind of make sense of the sermon from yesterday and tell you how it kind of applies, uh, how it applies to your life very specifically and practically. We are at on, on our uh, second podcast, and Jonathan Dorst has already taken a week off. That uh, stinker is out skiing in Taos, New Mexico. I'll make sure to send him the podcast uh, just as soon as I'm finished so that he'll know have something to listen to on his drive home and uh, will regret uh, missing work. Uh, I have a feeling that's not going to work. I think he's having a great time. I hope he's having a great time. And uh, I'm more than a little bit jealous, but uh, I'm glad to be here. Sorry to be alone. I'm not as good, uh, not as interesting when I don't have somebody to talk to. But that's all right. I got you to talk to, and we're going to make this work. And as my mom can tell you, I've never been afraid of the sound of my own voice. So we'll just kind of dig in. All right, well, let me uh, kind of dig in. We did not get to several of the questions uh, last week that we uh, had from our first sermon on sexual morality. And so I'm going to kind of jump into the rest of those, and then that will uh, leave you uh, with the second podcast. Next week, I'm preaching on homosexuality, so I expect to have uh, tons and tons of questions to share with you. The next podcast will probably probably be very long. This one will probably end up being a little bit shorter. So let's just kind of jump in. Now, the first question I did not get to is, uh, what is the gospel understanding of sexual modesty? Um, I'm not really sure what is all involved with this question. That seems like a question that has a lot of background to it. Um, I think I think we talked a little bit about it last week. Everybody has to kind of take responsibility for their own sexuality. A uh, man has to take responsibility for letting his uh, lusts and his imagination roam free, but a woman also uh, has to take that responsibility to not both to not let her imagination run free and to, uh, to just not be over-sexualized, I think. The, the real danger that comes in our culture is when women kind of buy into the message that they are important uh, when they are getting sexual attention. I, I think a lot of girls don't understand why they get the kind of looks they get, uh, even as, as young uh, teenagers, when they dress in sexually provocative ways and that... Um, encourages them in a, down a destructive path. Uh, I think the only thing they really understand is uh, they get smiles, they get attention, and so it must be a good thing. And um, and they're getting that attention for for negative reasons. I, I'm not going to give you a strict kind of rule. This is what a Christian dress is like. I think that's foolish, and it does definitely changes with the uh, culture and, and the times. But I do want to encourage our ladies on both hands. One, you need to be very thankful for your bodies. Your body is a gift of God. There's nothing there to be ashamed of. Uh, but on the other hand, to not to not reduce yourself to uh, sexual sexuality and reduce yourself to body parts and and don't fall for the idea that anything that gets attention is good attention. You need to be wiser than that. It's not. It's not helpful for you. So that 
I hope that's enough. And um, if it's not, feel free to write in to uh, admin at riveroakstulsa.com and ask more questions, and I'll keep doing my best to kind of wrestle through that with you. Um, Next question was, uh, I know many people who went into marriage with a fairly healthy gospel-based views of sex, but still had problems sexually. Uh, Do you have suggestions for these people? Who can they go to? Who can they talk to when sex isn't beautiful like you describe it? Uh, Kind of the background of this question is, in my opening sermon on sexuality a few weeks ago, I talked about why sex is so powerful, and I talked about how it is, uh, in many ways, a, a human image, a picture of this beautiful unity that God the Father and the Son have, and and that makes it uh, something that that really touches with uh, touches an inner uh, important part of our soul and our spirit. I think that's it's more than just something that feels good bodily. It feels good emotionally, and it seems to affect us in our psyche. And uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's so powerful. But a lot of people do go into marriage and don't enjoy sex. That that could be for physical reasons. That could be for um, emotional reasons, maybe they were have kind of bad associations with sex. They could have grown up in, in a situation where uh, so much shame was heaped on sex because parents and youth ministers in the church was so worried about people having sex outside of marriage that they just associated shame and dirtiness to any thought of sexuality, and uh, and they're just unable to kind of get over that to kind of move on to the uh, to what God has described. And, and my advice uh, for you is this. Uh, first of all, I want you to mourn that. I think it's important to recognize that that's sad, and and uh, it's okay to just kind of be sad about it. You don't have to ignore it. Don't push it off into the back parts of your mind, but just kind of think, okay, this is something that that is not everything that it could be. Uh, and, then, and then address it like an adult. Um, don't be ashamed to, to talk to a counselor. Don't be ashamed to talk to a, a doctor, your, your physician. And don't be ashamed to try to make things better. Um, don't let shame rob your marriage. Um, and also don't... Uh, just, just know that things should get better. Should, things should progress just like everything else in your marriage or trust of your spouse should grow over years, your ability to communicate with your spouse should grow over years, and uh, the freedom and the uh, frequency of your sexuality should become more and more healthy over the years. And if that's not happening, then then get help. Go to speak to a pastor. Go speak to a counselor. Ask me if I'm your pastor. Um, you know, start with... Uh, you start with a counselor, start with a pastor, start with someone you trust. Maybe what you're experiencing is normal. You just have kind of crazy expectations based on what you see on television or what you see in movies. Or maybe what you're experiencing is abnormal. And and it could be... An, it, it, this is a hard question to answer because I don't know the specifics of the person who's asking. Like I said, it could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be psychological. There could be... Uh, damage from the past that um, and and pain or uh, or shame is associated with sexuality there's so many different things that, that it could be that I can't possibly speak to all of them 
And I would just encourage you to uh, seek help. Um, don't, don't let sex be this one thing that you won't get help for. Um, you, you wouldn't do that. I hope if you're a wise person and you know money is a constant uh, frustration in your marriage, a real source of disappointment and, and anger, you wouldn't just let that fester for years. You would go see a financial counselor. You would get help. Um, treat sex the same way. Don't just let it be a disappointment and a failure. Don't let it be a source of tension that never gets reconciled. It's it's not magic. Uh, you're not expected to be. Uh, it's not something that you either can do or can't do. It's something that you can get better at. So I would just encourage you to uh, to seek help. Next question is a completely different uh, topic. What advice would you give for witnessing to a friend who's broken because of sexual immorality and cannot see their truth and value? Man, that's, that's very, very hard. Um, I think the first thing you want to do with those people is, is grieve. Um, I've had, well, I've had three or four people in just in the last couple of months tell me that the most important thing I've ever done for them as a pastor is cry with them. Um, is is really just cry for them, and and in that kind of spontaneous, unplanned act, really show them that that I care about them, and that what they've gone through is bad, and um, that that it can be better. That's that's a real important way to minister to somebody and to love somebody is to cry for them. And I think that the Lord really uses that to, to wake them up. Um, and then as you move closer to them, uh, tell them that you know, you're genuinely sorry for what's going on in their life and assure them that, that you love them and assure them that the Lord of the universe has loved them so much that He's given them their only Son and Encourage them to receive that message and to, to believe that on a deep level, uh, that they are not, they are not uh, what this, these, the, the damage that comes from sexual immorality uh, is this. When you are sexually immoral, it inevitably leads to rejection. Sometimes it's really soon. Sometimes it's a one-night stand. Sometimes rejection takes weeks, months, even years. But what ends up happening is you are seen, uh, your, your nakedness is unveiled. Uh, you are seen physically and emotionally in an absolute vulnerable state, and you're rejected. And that rejection leaves deep scars of shame. And you can't expect, you as a minister, if you're ministering to someone who's been who's received this time and again, they really believe, they begin to believe that they are worthy of rejection. They believe that they are not worthy to be loved. Uh, as the great, great uh, teacher and lecturer, Brene Brown says, uh, we accept the love that we believe we are worth, that we believe we deserve. And it takes a while. It takes a long time to get someone to begin to believe that they are worth love. And you have to be willing to walk with somebody for a while 
uh, to continually express love to them and continue to remind them week in, week out. That's why we go to church every week. Remind them that the Lord loves them deeply, that they are not uh, unworthy of love. And the, the healing is real, and the healing does take place, but it does take time. And I wish there was just something you could say. You know, I, as a minister for 20 years, I can tell you, no, nobody has longed for magic words more than I have. And I grew up or came into the ministry believing there were magic things. If I could just say the right thing, then this person would be fixed and they would quit sinning and they would feel better about themselves and all of this shame and sorrow would be replaced with joy. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, that's why I'm a firm, firm believer that everyone needs a pastor and, and needs a it needs community because it's it's the small message every day, day in, day out, that I love you and that you are worth you're worthy to be loved that ultimately heals uh, these scars. So my advice to you is just be a long term friend. And uh, and whenever you get a chance in small ways and in, in big ways, uh, remind your friend that you love them and they're worthy to be loved. Um they're going to have to believe that they're worthy of your love before they will believe they're worthy of God's love. Uh, but that's okay. You're there for a reason. Just just be patient and walk with them. All right, my final question for this, uh, this week is, if we can't expect nonbelievers to live under a Christian sexual ethic, how do you translate this to political opinions like divorce or gay marriage? Oh, um, wow. If I had, sit, if I had pre-read that question, I probably wouldn't have uh, read it out loud. But now that I have, I'll answer it. Um, this is my belief. I, I am theologically very conservative. I try to believe the same thing that the church has believed for 2,000 years. I am socially uh, moderate, which means um, I don't think you have to conform to real strict uh, codes of dress and and language and and work and kind of traditional uh, gender roles and that kind of thing. I think the the gospel gives us a lot more freedom than has been practiced in in some super conservative cultures. And I'm politically confused. Uh, I honestly don't know the answers to these questions a lot of times. And I think one of the things we have to do is, um, one of the things we have to do is we have to separate what we as a church uh, teach and expect from what we as a culture or as a nation teach and expect. For instance, as a church, you have to have a certain set of beliefs and you have to have a certain, you have to abide by a certain moral code, the Ten Commandments, uh, if you want to be a member uh, and, um, and receive communion week in and week out. Uh, as a nation, we do not expect that. We have been very explicit. You do not have to have a certain set of beliefs. And over time, uh, we have applied that to mean you do not have to live by a certain moral code to be an American citizen and have your civil rights protected. Uh, and I believe that. I believe we should protect the civil rights, the human rights, uh, the basic rights of, of dignity, of life, liberty, and, uh, and property that should be uh, extended to every person despite what they believe or what they do. Now that brings up very 
difficult issues when the line between the church and the state is not clear. Um, is it the state's responsibility to uphold uh, the biblical law? Um, what is the basis for the law? Uh, th- those, are, those are hard questions. I, I don't always know the answer. I tend to think that society would be better off if uh, God's moral law were enforced. Why do I believe that? Because I believe God's law is written for, uh, for our good. And I think people will thrive. Uh, they will be healthier. They will be better off. Uh, if, if people would quit committing adultery, they would quit having their uh, self-worth damaged. If people would quit divorcing, they would quit damaging each other and, and making people feel these devastating effects of abandonment. Uh, they would quit leaving their children uh, with these devastating effects of being abandoned by one parent or the other. Uh, and yes, I believe that applies to, to homosexuality as well. I think homosexuality uh, damages people when it's uh, when it's practiced freely. Um, does that? Do I think then that the civil government should uh, enforce those things? Um, I think if we're going to do that, we have to do it consistently. Um, I think we we decided in the '70s and the '60s that we were not going to do that consistently. Um, we started allowing free divorce, um, and uh, and free to, and, and divorce has harmed many, many, just thousands and millions more people than homosexuality ever will. And because uh, we have not uh, kind of because we've not enforced these standards across the board, we've, it's become a very unfair and untenable situation that we will only punish homosexuals uh, for their beliefs and we're not going to uh, punish everybody else. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, the, my, my long and my short of the, the question is, uh, my long and short answer is we need to either do it completely and do it correctly or not do it at all. And in a free society, a uh, democratically elected society, where the majority of people get to decide their morality, what morality will be enforced by the government. Uh, I don't think we're going back. And I think that uh, I don't think we're at risk. I think we need to protect people's civil rights. Uh, I can't see a good reason why the rights of homosexuals should be uh, any more restricted than the rights of heterosexuals in government and uh, culture. Even, uh, but the church is a different situation. So I, I don't know. Um, all that to say, I don't know how how biblical standards res- uh, apply to political opinions. Um, but I'm en- I will enjoy uh, debating that with you. Feel free to write your questions in to admin at riveroakstulsa.com, and I will uh, continue to to wrestle with those questions if that's what you want to hear. Uh, for as long as we do this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I uh, hope the Lord blesses your day. I hope I've given you something to think about. I hope I've been an equal opportunity offender. uh, And uh, I will look forward to talking to you again next Monday. Thank you. Bye-bye.